Thank you. Good morning, Real Life Church. Uh, my name is Melanie. I'm part of the leadership here. Obviously, married to Stuart, and we have two beautiful little boys called Levi and Asher, who are now safely out in kids' work. So, I'm a very happy mummy. Didn't they do well with their stories this morning? Yeah, you did a brilliant job. Hannah, Sophia, is she back in? Still doing her hair. Joel, still doing his hair. (sighs) I might just fill time for a moment or two. You did very well this morning, and it was lovely to see them get baptized. You did a great job there, and we do love baptisms here in this church. They're such fun. This morning, I want to speak to you out of a story in the Bible about Martha and Mary. Um, If you're familiar with church or familiar with your Bible, you will have heard of that story before. If you're not, don't worry. I'm going to talk you through everything, and I'll let you know what's going on. I don't know where you sit in the pecking order in your family. I don't know if you're the youngest or the oldest, or you're an only child or a middle child. I don't know where you sit, but this story is about an oldest kid and a youngest kid. So just to help me out this morning so that I can identify who you are, would you just stand for me really quickly if in your family you are the oldest child? Oh, that that tells me a lot. Oh, yes, I can see that already. Okay, please take a seat. Would you stand for me if you are the youngest or the baby in your... Mark Stanton. (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's written all over you, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Take a seat for me. If you Google characteristics of oldest kids and youngest kids, you get to find out some really interesting things. So I have an oldest boy and a youngest boy. I do have to fess up and tell you that I'm an oldest child. So when I read out my characteristics, they're a little bit biased, okay? So I might say things about the youngest kid that you think, what? because I have a younger brother who really is the baby of the family. So just bear with me, okay? But if you're the oldest kid, generally, they like being in charge, generally. So generally, oldest kids, because they are the firstborn in a family and their role model or the person they're looking to is a grown-up or an adult, they take their lead from that person. So that person, oh, is it my cardi doing that? Oh, twiddle something. Oh, yeah, that feels quite loose. Sorry, bear with me a second. Is that better? So generally, they take the lead from the grown-up in the family, the adult in the family. So generally, they like being in charge. Generally, a little bossy. Just I'm saying generally. Generally, a little bossy. Generally, have a lot of confidence because they've been around adults most of their growing up, generally relate well to adults. 
They're the first, and so their parents are trying out every technique they've read about in a book. So every sleep technique, food technique. So the pressure is on for the oldest kid. It's high, because actually everybody is watching us first time round. By the time you have number two, three, four, five, six, who cares? But first one, everyone's watching. And you feel like everyone's watching. So you're like, you must eat that, you must do that. And so sometimes the oldest kid grows up with this sense of, I've got to get everything right. They can be perfectionists. I don't recognize that at all in myself, but they can be perfectionists. They can strive a bit. They are often very successful, which of course I do recognize in myself. Um, they can be tightly wound. They can correct when they're younger, even grown-ups, as if they're grown-ups. So oldest kids will often tell off grown-ups or make sure that they're aware what they're doing is wrong. So I had a situation once where I said to one of the oldest kids in our kids' work that I picked up their bag. And they said, no, that's not a bag, that's a rucksack. And you know that kind of oldest kids where it's like, you've clearly got that wrong. I'm four and you're 40-something, but, but I know best. Oldest kids, generally. They generally talk a lot, and they can end up being too responsible. So that's oldest kids. Youngest kids usually get away with more. Right, when I tell you I'm biased, or I, I, you know, generally get away with more. Their parents are much more relaxed because by the time number two, three, four, five, six has come along, you've realized that most of what the books talk about is nonsense and you have to work it out in your family with your kid because your kid is an individual. And you care less about what everybody else thinks by that stage. By the time Asher came along, I definitely cared less about what other people thought about how my kid was eating, sleeping, or doing. They talk a little less, but often have a much more varied vocabulary. I don't know how they worked that one out, but I saw that online and thought, yep, I can see that. They tend to look and learn from older siblings, so they're not looking to mum or dad or aunts or uncles, they're looking to an older brother, older sister. So their benchmark is a little different and a little bit more age appropriate. So an oldest kid will often feel like I can't do that task that a grown-up is doing to a grown-up standard, whereas a youngest kid will look at the next one up or the next one up and think, well, I can almost do that. And so they tend to. They are often known as the baby of the family, even when they are grown-ups. We still call my youngest brother the baby of the family, and he's 30-something. He's not really a baby, but, you know. They can be a little spoilt and a little less disciplined. They can be. I'm just saying, just putting it out. I know you don't recognize this, Mark, and I, to be honest, I don't either. They can be typically more demanding and a little less patient. Um, they tend to be a little bit more carefree, easygoing. They will attempt more and sometimes take more risks, uh, whereas the oldest one generally wants to get it bang on and right. The youngest kid is like, well, give that a go, we'll see. Usually a bit more affectionate, fun-loving, 
easygoing, sociable, they love to make people laugh. And these are all generalizations, but I have an oldest kid and I have a youngest kid, and a lot of those fit with them. And I am an oldest kid and I have a younger brother. Generally, it fits like that. This story that I'm going to tell you about is about two sisters, an oldest and a youngest. And what you'll see coming through the story is typically oldest and youngest behavior, where you would look at it and go, I recognize that. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke 10, 38 to 41. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's okay. I'm going to read from a slightly different version anyway. Um, So good luck if you've got a Bible with you. Uh, This is just from the message. Um, Do you like how pink it is? Oh, so beautiful. Uh, Mary and Martha. As they continued their travels, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him in and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned me to the kitchen? Oh, can you imagine talking to Jesus like this? Uh, Tell her to lend me a hand. Uh, The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you are fussing too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. Only one thing is essential, and Mary's chosen it. It's the main course, and it will not be taken from her. So you've got three characters in the story. You've got Jesus and disciples, so they're kind of unnamed. You've got Martha and you've got Mary, and you've got a lot going on in a tiny little bit in the Bible. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So he is traveling to the cross, and on his journey, he is teaching his disciples all the things that he would like them to know before he gets crucified. Before he dies for the sins of the world, he wants them all to be aware of how they should live and what they should do. So there's a big chunk in the middle of Luke's gospel that tells you all the things about how to relate to strangers, different genders, different ages. It's got loads of instructions on how God would expect us to behave. It's a really good little chunk in Luke's gospel, and you can find out lots about what Jesus prioritizes, and often they're completely different to what we would prioritize. So you can have a good look at that. He is intentional, and he's tackling some issues of the time, but he's actually tackling issues of all time. He's going after some stuff in this little chunk. Martha is the owner of the house. In other translations of the Bible, it's really clear that she is the oldest sister or the owner of the house. And so she invites them in, she entertains, she gives hospitality. So it's really clear that she's the oldest in the house. And she welcomes Jesus in. She recognizes him, she knows who he is. And then she busies herself with dinner. So she welcomes Jesus in, she knows who he is, and then she gets on with dinner. She's busy, her priorities are slightly off, she's serving God instead of sitting with God. And I know if you've been a Christian for a while, you could probably identify with some of that. 
that you're busy, busy, busy serving God and neglecting sitting with God, listening to God, spending time with God. Mary is the younger sister or the, the only other person in the house and she recognizes who Jesus is and stops everything. So I don't know what she was doing but she could have been helping out in the kitchen, I doubt it, but she would have been doing something when the doorbell went or the knock at the door and she stopped what she was doing and it, in the Bible it says she sits down at his feet. So she gives herself a place that is lower and he is higher and she adopts the position of, I want to listen, I want to learn, I want to hear what it is you have to say. In the message it says she hangs on every word he says. I mean, I like to get myself into the story and I think, I really hope if I was there and Jesus knocked on my door that I would have stopped everything and hung on every word he said. Chances are I might have wanted to get on with the dinner or give the toilet a quick wipe round. If ever there's a delay when you knock at my house, I'm literally, because I live in a house with a lot of boys, I'm literally in the downstairs toilet giving it a quick once-over with an antibacterial wipe, just making sure that anyone who comes in doesn't need to, you know, deal with little boy toilet habits. So if ever there's a delay, that's what I'm doing. I might have been doing that, but she stopped everything, and then it says when he taught, she hung on every word he said. She understood, you see, Mary, Martha was busy in the kitchen cooking up a main course. She understood that the main course had just walked in the door. She understood that Jesus had arrived. She understood that when he's here, when he's teaching, when he's at work, I stop everything and I listen to him and I hang on every word. Martha wants Jesus to notice her hard work. She wants to say, have you seen me in the kitchen? And so she rebukes Jesus. You know, sometimes when you just read stuff in the Bible and you think, oh no, she rebukes the Savior. She says to him, have you not seen me? Tell Mary off, get her out in the kitchen and get her helping me. I'm sweating here while she's sitting. Get her to come and help me. I love how Jesus handles her. He's so gentle with her. He's so graceful with her. And he literally points out, Mary has got the right attitude. Mary has got the right priority. Mary is prioritizing me. You are fussing about stuff that doesn't really matter. I don't think he's gone there expecting a gourmet meal. He probably would have been all right with bread and jam. He's gone there because he's on the way to the cross where he knows he's going to deal with the sins of the world. He knows he's going to die in their place for all their sin. But before he gets there, he wants them to understand what it means to follow him. His priority is, I'm teaching you, I'm training you. So sit still and listen. He knows that no amount of doing will make people right with God. And when you read the whole of the Bible up until the point where Jesus dies, there's a lot of people doing, 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 trying to be good enough for God, trying to be right with God. He basically wants to end the exhaustion. He's like, guys, you've tried really hard with your doing, 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 but you are never going to be good enough for God. 
You're never going to be clean enough, pure enough. You are never going to be able to rack up enough good works to be good enough for a holy, perfect, pure God. You'll never be able to do it. He knows that. Mary knows that. Martha, there's still some confusion in there. He knows it's about a relationship with him. And he knows that you build relationship by sitting, looking, talking to one another. Do you know, it's the biggest shame of our age is that you go out and watch people now have dinner with people sitting opposite them on their mobile phones relating to a world that is out there in Facebook or Instagram or somewhere else. When they have a real-life person sitting in front of them, they are relating to someone over the internet, who really probably aren't their friends anyway. It's a real sad state when you go, I literally, sometimes I just want to cry. If we go out to dinner and I see a couple also out for dinner and one of them is on their phones, I always joke with Stuart, I say to him, if you, if you took me out to dinner and you were on your phone, you'd be wearing your food. Like, no way, <laughs> like... You wouldn't do it anyway, would you? Because the company is so scintillating. I mean, why <laughs> would you go anywhere else? It just grieves me because actually there's a chance to build a relationship when you're sitting face to face with someone. There's a chance to connect. There's a chance to relate. There's a chance to share ideas. There's a chance to build something much stronger, much more tangible. And that's what Jesus is saying when I'm in the room, when I'm present, when you feel me, when you sense me, when you know me, stop and engage with me. Don't engage with your activity. Engage with me. Go deeper with me. Build a relationship with me. Spend time with me. Listen to me. Love me. It's why you date people. It's why when you get married, you still continue to date that person, or you should because you're continually wanting to build relationships. It's why in our life group, we've got a group within a group of girls that meet together and watch movies and chat, because we want to build relationships. We want to go deeper. We want to spend time with each other. It's why coffee shops are full, bars are full, because we want relationship. We want to build it. And we've been conned into thinking we can do it online. We've been cheated into something that is not genuine when the real is standing there in front of us. That's what Jesus is saying. The main course has shown up, and it's better than you could ever eat or experience anywhere else. Why would you be in the kitchen? Why would you be trying to cook something that I can deliver much better why would you be on your phone trying to find something that a person can deliver much better on? Why would you settle for working hard for God but not knowing him when, when the main course is on offer? So there's something about Mary that I think this morning we can learn from. There's something about what she is like and what she said that Jesus said, I love this. Be like this, copy this, imitate this. So I want to say to you guys who got baptized this morning, you made a brilliant decision to get down in that water and come back up again. Brilliant decision. What you are ultimately saying is, my life belongs to Jesus, and I intend to make the choices that he's laid down in his word for me. 
You're basically reordering your priorities. You're going, actually, instead of doing it my way, I'm going to go his way. And it might look a little bit nuts to people, get, like getting in a giant, whatever you call that thing, a pool, paddling pool, and getting soaking wet. You might have people looking on going, what is that about? What that is about is listening to him and doing what he says, whatever that is. What this does is it nails it to the cross and it says, Jesus, I'm going your way. I've been doing it my way, now I'm going your way. And I want to encourage you, if you were baptized this morning, to keep on making those choices. Keep on reading your Bible, being in relationship with Jesus, and keep on making those brave choices to listen to him and do the things he says, even if they're not popular. Even if people look at it and go, what is that? To still make those decisions that in the kingdom of God make sense. To be that brave, to be that bold, to stand out like that. So I want to encourage you to keep reading your Bibles, listening to him and obeying him, to be like Mary, to model yourself, to don't busy yourself to the point where you're like, I'm working hard for God, that you forget it's about a relationship with God. It's about knowing that he died on the cross in your place for all your sins. It's about encountering him regularly. That's why we come to church. That's why we meet in small groups, because we want to meet him the main course. We want to make sure we're having regular times of just looking at him, listening to him. It's why as a church we would encourage you to read your Bibles. Not because we like saying that every week, but because actually we know in your Bible you get to meet the living God. We know you get to sit down at his feet and enjoy a meal. And it might be a book that you have looked at in the past and thought, actually, it's irrelevant to me. It's out of date. It's out of touch. Let me tell you, if you are a human being, this book is relevant to you. It touches on so many things to do with your life. It touches on marriage. It touches on parenting. It touches on the poor. It touches on men and women issues. It touches on race issues. It, it touches on so many issues that are relevant to your life. But you have to sit at his feet and you have to listen and you have to learn from it. You have to make a choice to be like Mary and consider his words and stop being so busy that you can't hear him. Mary understands that busyness is not next to godliness. And I think that's one of the things that trips us up in this kind of middle-class culture is we associate busyness and productivity with obviously that's my worth or my worth before God if I'm if I'm frantic if I'm busy if I'm doing that is how I will be right with God acceptable to God and acceptable to the people around me the Bible teaches completely differently to that it says that relationship with God is the only way you get to be right with God so you can work yourself into whatever kind of frenzy you like, but you will never be closer to God because of that. And I want to honor people in this church that work hard in the workplace, at home, and in this church. We, like, we celebrate that, but I hope that we're doing it with a right understanding of I know God, I love God, I choose to follow him, therefore I will give my skills and my gifts to the best of my abilities.
So I don't earn favour with God because I do what I do in church. I do it because I love him and I know he loves me and it is my delight and pleasure to serve him. It's my delight and pleasure to cut up kids' craft stuff and to help get whatever ready or to fill up a baptism pool or to do whatever in his kingdom because I am so loved by him, I can't imagine doing anything else. And it's that. We need to be getting that right in our understanding. She makes Jesus her priority. She makes listening to him her priority. She makes sitting at his feet her priority. So it's, it's crazy as a Christian to rush into your day and say, I'm so busy today, I haven't had time to read my Bible. That's about the craziest thing you can do. If your day is really busy, sit at his feet and make sure that you are soaked in him, full of him, that you've got his priorities, and then get on. Days when I do that work well. Days when I don't, I'm just crazy busy with activity. And usually get to the end really cross because nobody's helped me or whatever else. We need to set our hearts and our priorities on Jesus. So I'm going to end now and we're going to worship God for a bit. I want to remind you this morning that relationship with God, knowing Jesus, is the most important thing that you can get sorted out. The guys getting baptized this morning are basically saying, I am letting you know publicly that I am in relationship with Jesus, that I believe his death on the cross, his life on the earth, his resurrection was all for me so that I could be right with him, so that I could be right with God. You need to get those things straight in this lifetime. If you are a Christian and you are frantically busy doing this, that and the other in the hope that God will love me, you more, please stop. He couldn't possibly love you anymore if he tried. His act of love towards you was to sacrifice his one and only son. I tell you what, I would not sacrifice my sons for anything. His act of love, his demonstration of how much he loves you was at the cross and at the empty grave. He couldn't possibly show you or tell you that he loved you any better than that. So if you don't know and understand that yet, you should. When he was crucified, when he defeated death, he spoke in the loudest words he possibly could, and he said, I love you. I love you. I want you to be right with God. That's the loudest voice he could have ever used. And we must not, in our frantic busyness, undo the power of that. And lastly, if you know that you've neglected reading your Bible, sitting at his feet, you get yourself an invitation this morning to sort that out right now. You get yourself an invitation to say, do you know what, Jesus, today is a new day. And although I often have the traits of Martha, I want to be more like Mary I want to be at your feet. I want to be listening. I want to be learning. Some of you are on a journey where you're trying to find out about Jesus. You can say to him, I want to be more like Mary. I want to sit. I want to listen. And I want to learn. And I want to understand who you are and what you're doing. 
And some of you just need to start picking up your word and instead of rushing into the busyness of your day, still yourself before him. Get yourself centered, get yourself on track and then go about your day. Jesus wasn't saying to Martha, I don't ever want to eat again, don't bother. What he was saying is, I'm here, stop. Come and be with me and we'll eat later. Come and sit down at my table, sit at my feet, and then we'll have food. Or we'll get a takeaway and and everything will be fine. Like that, don't you? Yeah. I, I, I try to imagine, I wonder if they did have the equivalent of a McDonald's or don't think a drive-through, but we're going to stand. We're going to worship this beautiful Jesus. Towards the end of the worship time, we're going to pray for Hannah, for Sophia and Joel, who were baptized. And let's sit at Jesus' feet. Let's listen to him. Let's learn from him. Let's encounter him. Let's be like Mary.